right. Um, well, I'm feeling very sweaty in this uh, spot. There's also a lot of uh, miscellaneous dirt. All right, what am I sitting on? Okay, I'm sitting on my dad's beanie. Uh, hello, conversation uh, with the liberal Waxahachie listeners. Uh, you may uh, be feeling a little weird right now because you're you're normally uh, used to the the low grovel of uh, my dad's. Uh, voice is booming voice um but it's me it's max uh i'm in the studio with a very special guest today we're gonna do a terry gross style um fresh oh. air-esque <laughs> podcast today uh, we're gonna put fresh air to to shame actually uh on the other line i have legal scholar um Okay. Very profound, prolific writer and avid uh. reader and cute person, I might add. Ariel Bailey. Ariel? Hi, Max. Hi. How's it going? Great. Glad to be... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Glad to be back That's on. That's my dog in the booth. <laughs> but we're okay with that. Tell me more. Glad to be back here on Conversations with a Liberal in Waxahachie. Thank and you. you. And you just and wrapped coming. up your... Uh, what's that? I was just praising your podcast. Oh, it's a phenomenal podcast. I think yeah. we're getting a few more listeners. We're definitely changing the political landscape in <laughs> Waxahachie. I think it's going to go from a already deep, bloody red uh, to the other type of deep, bloody red, which is uh, the blood of the bourgeoisie. So I'm hoping yeah, I'm we can, on board. Uh, we can uh, make that happen. Absolutely. We got a cherry pie cooking the uh, background, so just adding to the very uh, <laughs> familial atmosphere here. All right, Ariel, tell us a little bit about your semester. Uh, how did how did it end up uh, wrapping up? Um, just finished my final for evidence, so I learned a lot about how to examine witnesses and uh, collect evidence for a trial. So we'll see if that ever comes in handy. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it came in handy last night when we were watching a oh, true man. crime documentary. Yes, that's the <laughs> best thing. For for uh, for people who don't really know us as a couple, Ariel and I love watching true crime documentaries. Yes. That is something we do religiously. We just started this one called The Staircase. Ariel, you want to explain what it is? Oh, I don't. we don't even know yet. We haven't gotten to the big... There's a lot of twists, though, yeah. I will say. But yeah. it's, it's pretty good. I think he murdered his wife. Pro I mean, most of the time... Men do murder their wives in oh, these shows. So. Oh man. Okay. Well, uh, scary. It's, I mean, true. That is true. That is the the sad society we live in. Um. So let's make sure that doesn't happen in the future. <laughs> that's, on, that's on you, I think. <laughs> uh, all right. Um. Okay. So the uh the framework of the show is going to be a little different today because uh, we don't have my dad and his ADHD uh, and just kind of bantering <laughs> off into whatever sort of a. Uh, outer space we normally go to uh i actually wanted to have like a, a straight up uh intellectual conversation today which might be a little different than normal um no just kidding i love you dad um but you know you know what they say you gotta you gotta eat your veggies you can't just eat meat and potatoes I mean, you could, but you'd be blocked up for a while. You gotta have some veggies. You gotta have some fiber in you. This is a veggies episode, all right. This is the metamucil of oh my podcast. Yeah, this is the 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 really good stuff. It's gonna make you nice and loose. So, um, yeah, this is this is the real <laughs> stuff that we're gonna we're gonna talk about today. And I think I want to talk more about us, Ariel, because yeah. I like to I like to say that you and I. We're pretty radical. I mean, we're pretty like 
we're pretty left. Yeah. I mean, we've got a, we like to push. We like to challenge the status quo. Um, I don't really like the term liberal. I don't identify myself as a liberal. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you necessarily do. Uh, I remember a conversation that I've had with uh, certain people who have called me liberals and I, I took offense to it. I am not one. Um, but I want to, I want to know what are we, what, how would we define our politics? So Ariel, you want to, you want to take that first? What, how do you, if you were to come up with a term for your politics or Hmm. your political ideology, or just like we're introducing yourself, uh, and your politics, what would it be? That's hard. Cause I feel like a lot of people our age identify with our politics, but there really isn't a... Hell yeah, millennials rise up. A movement. Like, the, there isn't a name, like, mm-hmm. liberal or conservative. I mm-hmm. I think I would describe myself as deep left. Mm. If deep that's left. if that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, hard, hard left-leaning radical politics. Mm-hmm. Socialist. Yeah, what do you... Is uh, easy. Okay, socialist. But I feel like that... I don't usually lead with that. I know you do more, mm-hmm. yes. um, but I don't no- normally lead, lead with that because I feel like it doesn't. To me, of course, socialism encapsulates all the things that I believe. Like mm-hmm. uh, it incorporates feminism and anti-racism and uh, uh, prison abolition and all of that. But uh, I don't think it's interpreted that way. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's primarily seen as like economic policy. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would lead with that. What what's your stance on okay. socialist as Oh, a... I mean, well, I I do identify as yeah. a socialist and I identify as a Marxist for for one. Um and I do this, you know, a lot of people a lot of people have different ways of analyzing the world, right? Some people have religion. Uh whether you're you're uh believing there's something in the sky, keeping, uh, keep an eye out on you, whether you believe in Satan and he's keeping his eyes on you or, uh, or some other, uh, holy thing. Uh, some people interpret the world that way. Uh, I interpret the world through the historical materialist approach, which was, I wouldn't say pioneered necessarily by Marx, but he definitely uh, gave a name to it. And that's how I, I view the world. And what the historical materialist approach is, is basically... Um, every society is structured around its political economy and that dictates what that society is. Also, history is a history of conflicts. And as we've seen, there's a big conflict between uh, the owners and the workers. And so Marx clearly has outlined an ideology and a way of interpreting the world for me, that I think makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I know when I was growing up in Waxahachie, I always considered myself pretty left. Um, A Democrat, for sure. I loved Obama when I was in high school. Um, But I never had a good way of actually interpreting the world. And I don't think the liberal framework does a good job of doing that. I think Marxism absolutely does. So that's one reason why I do identify as a Marxist. I really buy into the materialist conception of history and how it impacts our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but also what you said is 100% true. Um, I think it's an undoubtable um, stance to say that capitalism is bad. It has harmed our, our country. It's harmed our planet. Uh, it is yeah. It is predicated on 
um, on racism and colonialism and all other bad isms that exist. It's all consuming. Uh, it has alienated people. So do you think that the term then socialist encapsulates all of that for you? Like, why don't, why don't you identify as primarily like socialist feminist or one of those? I think, I think that it is important to be clear in your politics. And I think that is a problem with maybe having somebody say, yeah, my, I am all encapsulating with this, uh, with this term. I think it is important to be nuanced, but with that being said, I do think that having a deep left um, class-based analysis of the world is the main driver. And so socialism to socialism in itself is that for me, mm-hmm. if that is what you're looking for. I, I would think so. Um, I, yeah, I get that. And I, and I love your, your quote, you know, if you're, you're not, if you're, if your socialism isn't feminist, if your socialism mm-hmm. isn't, anti-industrial uh, if your socialism isn't anti-racist it's not socialism then um, yeah I think that's absolutely important and my hope is that more people are drawn to maybe different tenets of that like oh I'm an anti-racist but I don't know much about um, feminism I hope that they are drawn to look into more of those tenets and Mm -hmm. then find socialism along the way, which is what I think happened to me. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I also think it's becoming like this year way more mainstream than it has in our lifetimes um, with the democratic socialists of America and Bernie and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, which I think helps. I think it helps to make it accessible because I don't know, a lot of, socialist theory is really inaccessible, really dense. You have to have a a really dense like academic framework to even begin to make that journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I hope that that, I mean, you're a smart person. I'm a medium sized, (laughs) uh, smart person. Um, I think, yeah, I've got, I've got a mid brain. You've got a galaxy brain, but my, (laughs) on that meme level, my brain is like the second brain. Yours is the like, all-seeing brain <laughs> um but yeah i think i i think that this is an interesting perspective because yeah i don't think you need to be a brain genius to understand socialism and to get behind it mm. i think that if you have any sort of moral core or moral framework you're going to be drawn to socialism and that doesn't mean you have to know all like what the labor theory of value is i mean that's great if you are interested in that, but it's okay to be motivated by your core morals and you're in a pursuit of justice. And yeah. just because you haven't read all of Marx's text doesn't mean that you can't identify that way. Um, right. At least I think so. No, I agree. I agree. But I think that it's, there is a lot of judgment on the left of other, yeah. of other people. Absolutely. That's among a big us. problem. It's a huge problem. Yeah. I think that's uh that was really addressed in that book that you you bought me uh, Joyful Militancy, mm-hmm. which is this uh the yeah the idea that you have to be rigid and militant and hold people accountable and call them out and be toxic and I and I have been guilty of that in the past and that's very demoralizing especially for pe- good intentioned people mm-hmm. who want to uh, 
help out and, and learn more. And I think that is important for us um, to be aware of and to hold other people accountable to yeah. um, when it comes to um, getting new comrades. Yeah, I one of my say. good friends said something nice uh, once. He was like, none of us are born reading Judith Butler or, yeah. you know, Alice Walker or anyone. Like, we all come to this from different areas of privilege, different mm-hmm. backgrounds, different... Mm-hmm interests Mm -hmm. and yeah so you got to be yeah got to be forgiving of people who are trying their best absolutely so how did you how did you come into this um that's a great question yes i know (laughs) um i don't know i i guess i've always had been very righteous Mm -hmm. and had a lot of anger at Mm -hmm. uh injustice yeah uh that has that I, I never really had a, a strong background in leftism. I never had exposure in college the way that I know that you did mm-hmm. to um, sort of broader theory. Mm-hmm. But I always was a feminist, sort of felt l- comfortable going against the grain growing mm-hmm. up, um, especially as an atheist in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, I was already politically different from everyone I knew. So I think it was not hard to take the extra step and yeah. just be, um, you know, super feminist, super outspoken in high school. And then, I don't know. And then also being exposed to the world um, by my parents and being able to travel so much and sort of having a bigger perspective of what normal looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think helped me... <clears throat> I don't know. Just see things, see things from a different angle, and <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That's a complicated question. It is a complicated question. Complicated question, which is why I'm asking you. Just let me know when you're back on. All right. Yeah, I'm about to get a big bowl of cherry pie, but that's why I was asking that question. Um, but that's good. Um, so I want to know. What kind of a uh, law do you think you're going to be practicing, or where do you foresee yourself uh, being soon? I mean, you're you're halfway through law school. The yeah. viewer, the listeners want to know. They do want to know <laughs> the full Ariel Bailey. Yeah. Um. Well, that's another great open question. Yes, I know. I'm great at that. So I <laughs> spent the last year and a half doing a lot of human rights focused work in law school. And after this last semester, um, kind of in the midst of this last semester, I fully decided that that is not the world I want to be in um, for a lot of reasons. But so I guess I'm hoping to move more towards domestic Mm -hmm. problems, Mm -hmm. um, focusing on immigration and asylum policy Mm -hmm. and law. And yeah, just turn the focus, turn my focus back to the United States, which in the human rights world gets a big free pass 99% of the time to do whatever the hell it wants. And Yeah, that tends to yeah. be like all of American history for sure. Yeah, yeah. So international law, human rights law is a very problematic um, field. Mm-hmm. So yeah, moving away from that, we'll see where that goes. 
What's one of the most like problematic elements? Is it like a saviorism element, or is it like a it, it's white men upholding like what the moral values it's, are? It's a lot of it. It's um, the international law was written by and for Western power. Um, you know, especially after World War II is when international law really became a thing, mm-hmm. and so it is like a force of colonialism mm-hmm. usually, and the human rights. Uh, corpus is sort of used as like a pushback against that but in itself it is very imperialistic very advancing the United States interests Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously not all practitioners of human rights law are this way but it's just really hard to get out of those structures because the law itself human rights law itself is written to give the United States latitude to do whatever it wants and so it's really easy to hold you know brown people accountable but really difficult to hold the united states accountable or britain or any of these huge world powers um through the human rights system and i think that's ridiculous when the united states is a perpetrator of so many human rights abuses what so what again (laughs) what yeah yeah um And I also think, like, the people working here in the United States um, against the government's abuses of power, um, people working in, like, the civil rights realm, for example, are ignoring this whole other aspect of rights that we Sorry we cut out there. Are we recording again? Sorry we cut out there for a second. It's okay. Oh, we're apologizing to the listener. Yes. Oh. Well, I got a mouthful of cherry pie. So <laughs> Sorry to okay. you as well, Max. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. That's fine. All right. So we were explaining uh, human rights. So I was saying that um, there are two types of rights that people have. And those are civil rights, which we know what those are here in the U.S. And there's also social and economic rights, um, which are things like right to housing, right to income, right to security, right to health care. Um, and the United States has never recognized economic and social rights. Because we're the best at what we do. Yeah, I mean, one. it's all because of the free market <gasps> and uh, our values that say that you have to earn things like housing and food and health care. Um, so in the U.S., people do all of their radical work in the civil rights realm the political rights the voting the representation the discrimination um things like that which is great but that misses out on this whole other world of wrongs that happen in this country that aren't considered uh, a legal issue um you know and and that's what i think we're both fighting for primarily our right to housing right to health care um, and these broad, like, economic and social rights that we need to recognize as just as important as mm-hmm. your ability to vote, you yeah. know? What do you think it's going to take for that to happen? Well, I, I, our government as it is right now is not structured in any way yeah. to to recognize those as rights. And I think it's totally possible that we could get universal health care or oh, universal basic income absolutely. before we officially recognize a, a protected right to either of those things. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our, our Supreme Court has said there is no right 
to education. There yes. is no right to food. There is no right to shelter the same way that we have a right to, um, our, what do we have a right to do? Vote or uh, have an abortion. Like yeah. we don't have those rights. Mm -hmm. So I think we'd have to completely upend, write a new constitution. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I love America. Version yeah. 1.0, wow. Just great, right? I mean... Beacon of the free world, am I right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now I'm sad. Yeah. What? So, do you think it's likely that that will happen in America? Oh, not at Just, all. Oh, man. All right. Well. No, but why? I don't think... I don't think, like... It would be great if we had a government that would affirmatively recognize those types of rights but we don't and we probably never will um because at this point why change the status quo you know yeah. like the united states has gotten away with not recognizing those rights for centuries or for almost a century i guess and uh nothing bad you know like the u.s is still great who cares you know but mm -hmm. um but that that doesn't mean that the work the work of protecting those rights can't happen here. And that's what I want to do. And that's what I want to bring to this like civil rights, radical lawyering, rebellious mm -hmm. lawyering space in the United States mm -hmm. is attention, not just to civil rights, but to this broader array of human rights mm -hmm. that's constantly violated um, by our government and other people in this country. Yeah, man. I love that answer. Yeah. yeah. That's why I love you. <laughs> God. Yeah. Okay. I'm very smitten over here. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm all weird in here. Oh, what's weird about <laughs> it? I'm feeling the connection. Oh. Yes. Um, all right. Well, should we talk about uh how awful Trump is in the wall? Or are you uh Sure. You mean right. wall? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you explain what wall means? So uh the Trump administration is now referring to the wall that they're trying to build on the southern border, not as the wall, but as wall, as in <laughs> some wall. Yeah. We need wall. We need some wall on the southern border. We need wall. And I think it's actually really clever. Like, it's a, it's, it makes people sound like idiots. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's why it's news, right? Is because all of his little cronies are walking around yeah. saying, give me wall. Yeah. I need wall. And give they sound wall. like computers or something. But... Yeah. It's it's a smart rhetorical move, right? Because now people, they're moving away from the, we're going to have a real wall physically yeah. dividing us and Mexico yeah. to... To wall. We're going to make some wall down yeah. there. And it's yeah. going to be a thing. And we're going to spend a billion dollars on it. Yeah. But who knows what it will actually be. Yeah, and if we it's... can't get the government to pay for it, we're going to get the... Uh, the uh, GoFundMe. Go Jesus to, Christ. Which is also a disgusting website. Fuck you, GoFundMe. Um, yeah, yeah, awful. Absolutely awful. Do you think they're going to raise enough money for that? No, there's no... You can't raise a billion dollars from know. people donating. I don't know. My friend who's really smart said it would take 17 years. Yeah, no, that's insane. What? I mean, they've raised $12 million, which is amazing. That's but that is, what, like 0.012% of a billion? Like, that's nothing. How many days it would take? You know, yeah. I kind of want to get in on this wall building action. And I want to put something on a GoFundMe that's like, pay for wall hammer or something. Yeah. And the wall hammer a, costs there for... There is one. There's a GoFundMe to pay for ladders for the people... No, 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 no. Over. Well, oh yes. My that's God. Like, oh, my no. God. It's really going to 
a group that is like for immigration. Yeah, I know, I know that, um, but I know I want I want to make money off of these dummies. I want to I want to say I need a hammer for wall to build it. And I will, I'm asking for $10,000 mm-hmm. and I'm sure I would make that much money. I'm sure you Surely. would. I wonder what the, what the terms and conditions are for that GoFundMe. That'd Uh-oh. be a great grifting idea. These people are just absolute sacks of flour, just no brain, uh, single syllable, monosyllabic, uh, just oafs who are, who are coming out. Um, I mean, RBG voted from her hospital bed today. Oh my God! Really? Yeah. What did she vote for? Ruth Bader Ginsburg voted from her hospital bed, where she is currently getting cancer nodes out of her lungs. To leave the lower court ruling in place because what's his name? Roberts voted with the liberals. Oh wow! You know what's awesome? Ugh. Ruth Bader Ginsburg could have retired when she was in full health, and we had a security of. Uh, Second term of Obama, but no, that didn't happen. But I'm I'm still for her. Yeah. She's got another 14 days, probably. No, yeah. she's fine. She's fine. This is right. she's fine. Right. I mean, you well, know, you it know. doesn't. A light wind could come out of nowhere and carry her, her off into the distance. She is she a tougher frail than she person. Looks. I I okay okay. She can plank better than I can. I know she's very strong. She's very strong. It's because she has a little but center she, of gravity. She. Well, you know, she probably doesn't have 10 or 15 years left, but all she needs is one and a half. That, But you're thinking that Trump's not going to win a second term. and we That's know true, that he's but this ups the stakes. Are you not reading the news lately? Are you kidding? I'm not reading the news lately. The crumbling around him. Yeah, and, and his supporters think... are... What did Trump just do recently? Can somebody remind me what Trump just did recently? Which He pulled thing? troops out of Syria. He's going to be known as the... As the president who brought troops home and the president who is building the wall. No, okay, I'm not saying that that's good. Actually, I am saying that's good. I'm inherently anti-interventionist, and it's good that we're getting out of foreign wars. That doesn't mean that Trump is a good person, but it's a good move. But speaking of rhetorical strategies, that's, that's... a win right there. He's going to campaign the hell out of that. He's oh, going to milk the course. hell out of it. And then you're going to get fucking but he Hillary has less... Clinton saying, no, we need to put more boots on the ground. You think that's going to win no. people? No, I agree. I think, of course, he's going to campaign on that. But he's losing a ton of Republican support off of that. He really yeah, is. Establishment Republican. Absolutely. absolutely. But, but they don't his, give a shit. That's the one thing. They don't his supporters about. love him and will always love him, but they, he do, his supporters do not constitute enough people on their own to reelect him. I think. This is what's uh, killing him right here. The stock market is down. The, the stock market is down. That doesn't matter. It, that doesn't matter. That literally. I mean, it does matter, it but. It matter to you, but. His, it does matter to me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> With my life plans? Wealthy that are depending on Trump to make them richer and. They will start turning. Yeah, I think... Y'all are being incredibly naive about that. No, so I I think it's going to be a brutal fight. I don't... But I don't think it's inevitable that Trump will win because things are so... Be- like, like, he's in, like, death throes right now as far as trying to keep his head above water and keep power. Like, with all of his... All the people around him just dropping, like, flies either from quitting or being criminally convicted it doesn't or indicted. If, if you are just paddling along in the deep end of the pool, if you have center blocks tied to your feet, which is what the Democratic Party will have, you're going to sink and die. He might be struggling to swim, but if the Democrats don't put up a real opponent, yeah. 
we're going to have four more years of darkness. Of course they have to. I mean, I think this election will be decided at the Democratic primary. Yes, and it's going to be Joe Biden and Cory Brooker. Or I Beto hope and not. Biden. I hope we don't make that mistake again. We have to make sure that we don't make that mistake yeah. again. Mom, did you read that article about uh, Beto voting for a third of Republican uh, policies when he was in... I didn't read it, but your dad wanted to discuss that. With well, I guess we'll have to hold it for another conversation <laughs> with the Liberal Amongst the Hatchie episode. But listen, uh, we have to have a true, authentic, uh, progressive politician uh, in order to challenge the the evils of trumpism and of conservatism and of liberalism and uh ariel bailey i think that should be you uh, i'm not old enough to run for president i'm not saying like run for president <laughs> but i mean like you know you're you're gonna you're gonna be out in the legal world you can uh, hold people accountable you're gonna be uh, oh for sure you're gonna be up there i think i think um running for office has to be in your future somewhere and when you do run for president, they're going to come back to this podcast episode <laughs> and uh, show that off to the world. Yeah. And you'll get a lot of votes. Well, we'll I see. I hope so. I hope so. Who knows what the world will be like in uh, 10, uh, 11 years. We might not have a world, yeah. years. 10 or 15 years. It might be Fury Road by that point. <laughs> God. Yeah. Well, I'm sad again, and I'm all out of cherry pie. Um, so I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. Um, well, wait, did you want to discuss the Syria thing? Because it's complicated, right? Trump pulling out of Syria. Yeah. I mean, uh, like all things are complicated. I just choose not to like, thank you for that. I just choose not to like apply nuance to anything because I'm, I only see in binaries, but, uh, sure. We can talk about, about Syria. I mean, um, I again, I am anti-interventionist. I I do think Bashar al-Assad, he's not a good guy. I'm not a tanky. I don't think he's a good guy. Uh, I think the Kurds are very vulnerable. I support the YPG. I like that. Um, but well, here's the thing. All right, hey Jada, um, he's getting rid of all ground troops. Right. That doesn't mean that he's going to end military conflict. Like drones. That doesn't stuff. mean that there's not going to be drone strikes. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be other forms of warfare waged. And this was a classic Obama flourish. Obama, you know, bring back troops, um, but drone strikes went skyrocketed right. under his presidency. So, am I glad that? Soldiers are being brought home. Yeah, of course. Uh, I am in favor of that. Um, but I do think we ha- we do have to be critical of what does this look like for uh, the future of the Trump administration operations in Syria. So that's my first point. My second point is I'm against all covert and overt war- wars waged by the United States. So mm-hmm. get the hell out of Syria. Yeah. I feel that. I also think, like, of course, you can be in support of backing out of this war, which wasn't even approved by Congress. But you also have to examine Trump's, like, motives for doing this and how it's just a boon for Putin. Like, it's like a gift that Trump yeah. is giving him, which I, I, I still think it's a good thing, ultimately. But I don't think it reflects well on Trump. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
But it, it will, I'm, it, it is calculated because, yeah, yeah, it might be a gift to Putin, but um, I also think it, it's, we're getting to campaign season. And That's true. He's de de-escalated conflict with North Korea, brought the troops back. back. And here's my third policy that I think he's going to implement. I foresee, now that Sessions has been out, I foresee Trump issuing an executive order legalizing cannabis. Really? Absolutely. If I was Stephen Miller, I would whisper that into that oaf's ear. Because if Trump, if that was a true push, it's over for the Democrats. What, what can they do? What yeah. other policy do they have? to combat that well they had the green new deal yeah thanks a lot nancy pelosi thanks a lot establishment democrats we love you for that uh absolutely great (laughs) hashtag christmas blessings to you all um yeah um yeah no that's awful it's absolutely awful but i can't you see that happening can't you see trump that would guarantee no you're right he would be the president he would be the the peace talker and the and the the weed dealer. The, uh... Well, the reason I doubt that is because I think to him, his third, you know, the third head of his Hydra or whatever is the the wall. Like he's just yeah, pushing I, that I, so I think, hard. I think the wall is definitely up there for sure. And so if he gets that or if he doesn't even, I think that's the hill that he's going to die on. Yeah, I'm saying that from like a calculated political standpoint, I think um, pushing cannabis legalization would be just nuclear for the democrats yeah but of course it would be an economic policy primarily and it wouldn't have any kind of restitution i know i know i'm not saying yeah i'm not saying that like criminal drug offenders would be pardoned or anything or exonerated yeah um it, it would be absolutely purely economical um in nature but so what he all he cares about is the headline and being able to brag about it. And that's the perfect thing to brag about. And then how do the Democrats, how does Cory Booker combat that? How does yeah. Joe thin lipped ginger fuck man, Kennedy, the <laughs> third come back from that? Oh, uh, surely he's not running for president. No, but I'm saying it doesn't matter. Like you're right. Yes. How, how do they recover? I don't know. That's... They got it. They, they got to stop suppressing and and working against themselves and their own best interests by silencing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her cohort. I know, I know, but that's their, that's their like golden ticket and they just don't realize it. Well, they might realize it, but they're in the, they're in the pockets of, uh, of all the other big, big oil, big tech, big housing. Looking at you, Beto. I, I'm, I don't know. Ever since I, I read that article, I've been I've been pretty skeptical um, of a democratic challenger, and I I think we need to brace ourselves for another Trump term. I don't I don't want to. I um, think it's too I think it's too early. I think that I don't know. You cannot resign yourself to it before the primary. Yeah. That's what we did last time. Yeah, you're right. That is what we, we did were last complacent. Time. We believed that Hillary would win no matter what, whatever. This is inevitable. Yeah. And we didn't fight hard enough in the primary for Bernie. Well. And then I think here we, we I are. I don't know. I think we did fight hard enough, but the fight, the pushback was even harder. Yeah. 
I think that it is incredibly difficult. It, the whole, um, what what were they? Super delegate system. Oh yeah, I mean, well, and the DMC, all right? of it. It was so yeah, rigged, like, but I, we I, accepted that. Like, I mean, there there were. This wasn't just a oh Trump barely won and there was only one catastrophe on election night. No, this was months and months of lead up yeah. where every time something went wrong, collectively people on the left just accepted it and allowed it to happen and moved on to the next thing. You know, we allowed Hillary to be the yeah. nominee, even though she clearly shouldn't have been. Well, what do you, how do we disrupt that then? What do you I don't know. do? How do you not allow that? You indict the people at the DNC. I mean, I, okay, we, but what does that look we like? We got rid of superdelegates. That's a that's one yeah, step. After the fact, though. No, I know, but I'm saying now, hopefully, next time that won't happen. I think. I mean, I. What What would have happened was what happened at the 1968 Democratic Convention, which is uh, young people throwing their bodies. Yeah. at the convention and trying to prevent the nomination from happening and then the police beating the shit out of them and and hurting them and arresting them. I I I I don't think I don't know what there is to do. Yeah. In 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 that moment, I well, do I think mean, maybe that it's now just it's changed. Taking it more seriously. Like when the we we know more about the Republicans like modern strategy these days which is latch on to something like emails. Or whatever. And in Hillary's campaign and the primaries and whatever, we were like, oh, that's not real. That's like, who cares? And and now we can't do that anymore. Like now, whenever Bernie gets up there and they start attacking him for, I don't I don't know, not caring about abortion or yeah, something. Being like pro guns or we can't like Yeah, that. being pro guns. Like we can't be like, Oh, that's fine. People still like Bernie. Like, yeah. no, we have to make Bernie better. Like require it. I think and we're gonna. I don't. I don't know. I'm really excited to go to Mexico City and learn more about AMLO. I've been fascinated with Mexican politics recently mm -hmm. because I see, I see Mexico as our, our alternative reality. Yeah. You know, like it's going to be very interesting under AMLO's presidency because he is their Bernie Sanders. Oh, in fact, further left than Bernie Sanders. Um, and he's working within a country that has no democratic institutions, right? Yeah. Um, so it's like the complete foil of the United States. And I hope he's successful. And I hope that that inspires us to bring a truly radical candidate. But I, I think there's going to have to be a massive upheaval of anger and visceral anger and yeah. combatantness and militancy that needs to happen. And well, hopefully the new Congress will be the vanguard of that because we've got one. We've got more than one. Yeah, we've got like fifteen in Congress. But I mean, even just the the Democrats generally, like the centrist Democrats, who now have a majority in the House, have more power and hopefully will push back and be more. I think that's confrontation more too optimistic. I, I don't think centrist Democrats are gonna pushback i think Maybe they not. are republicans and i don't know i i what, what needs to happen is they need to be held accountable by their constituency well i think i need more cherry pie okay alex what's our measures uh coming up 40 all right well i think we could be wrapping this up
Sounds good. Do you have any uh, shout outs you want to give Ariel? Um, shout out to my dad, who is hopefully listening. Hopefully one day you can come be on the podcast. Yes, we would love that, Dan. Please come. <laughs> um, I want to give a shout out to uh, George H. W. Bush. I'm glad you're dead. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, enjoy hell, buddy. All right, I'm good. Let's uh, <laughs> let's bounce out. Ba da ba da 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 da